Hi there, welcome once again to the High Performance Podcast and wherever you're listening to this in the world, I know it would have been a slightly strange Christmas as it has been for all of us, but I hope despite that you had a good Christmas all the same. And this is it then, our final podcast of 2020. Uh, Don't worry though. Series 3 is not over yet. We'll be back with a huge name to kickstart 2021. Um, Talking of big names, um, a quick shout out to Sam Curran, uh, current England cricket international, got in touch this week on Instagram to say he's enjoying the podcast. I also had some nice messages from Phil Neville saying how much he enjoyed the episode with the England women's football captain, Steph Horton. Um, But a really nice message as well from Teresa who got in touch. And she said, um, I don't usually submit reviews, but I felt compelled with this podcast. I recently discovered this pod whilst on maternity leave, so I'm binge listening. It's so refreshing to find something of this calibre. Please keep up the excellent work. Well, Teresa, for you and for everyone else that listens to the High Performance Podcast, this week, our guest is a current England international who also has a great story to share. Here's what he tells us. For the first couple of months, I probably did nothing but drink. Now, if you think about what is most counterproductive to inflammation in the knee, alcohol is probably right up there. It was, yeah, an awful time. And I remember going to the manager at, at, at Bournemouth and I think I broke down in the end, just in tears. And was like, I don't even know where these tears are coming from. I mean, I'm doing rehab, I'm here. Yeah, I don't feel great because I got injured, but surely there must be more to it than that. I can't wait for you to hear um, what this week's guest had to say. Just a quick reminder that it really is worth subscribing to the High Performance YouTube channel. Just search High Performance Podcast on YouTube, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Um, We do live events on there. We will put up interviews in long form that you haven't heard on the podcast. There's loads of opportunity for us to give you even more content from the High Performance Podcast. So please, just very quickly right now, maybe hit pause on this whip to YouTube, subscribe, and then come back and listen to this week's episode. Right, here we go then. The final podcast of 2020, the latest episode in Series 3. It's time for this week's High Performance Podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi there, I'm Jake Comfrey and you're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the secrets of their success for you. Now, everyone needs a professor in their life and mine is also an author and an expert in the success of sporting cultures, Damien Hughes. And Damien, look, as a football fan, I know you're excited about this, but also as someone who enjoys seeing a person have success through periods of adversity, um, it makes this an interesting conversation we've got lined up today. Absolutely, Jake. I think um, one of the key themes we often touch on on the series is is the theme of grit, resilience, the ability to keep going even when times are tough. And today's guest is uh, somebody I'm really keen to explore that topic with. Yeah, we all have them. We all have to get through them. So how do you overcome those difficult times? Let's welcome a footballer who had to overcome the challenge of living in a homeless shelter as a youngster. He then had to process being released by Southampton as a teenager, thinking his pro career might be over. He then had to fight after over a year out injured at Bournemouth. He then had to retain his composure after his England debut was marred by racist abuse in Bulgaria. So what have those challenges taught him that you can learn from? How do we try and remember that our reaction to the things that happen to us is always more important than the things themselves. Welcome to the High Performance Podcast, England, and Aston Villa defender Tyrone Mings. Nice to have you with us. 
Nice to be here. Thank you. What a great intro. Thanks. Thank you. Right. Well, let's uh, let's keep it up then. What is <laughs> no pressure? <laughs> what is high performance to you, Ty? Good question. Um, high performance, I think, is a probably a byproduct of what goes on between my ears, and which is why I'm really interested to speak to this man here about psychology and sports psychology because I think I genuinely believe that high performance, when you get to the level that that I'm currently operating at is such fine margins and it is such fine tuning of everything that we've learned physically. I know that I can go into a game and play in 90 minutes, but what can I be doing away from the pitch? Um, and what information can I be taking in to help what's going on and what's being processed between, between the ears and in the mind to give me a bit of an advantage? High performance, I, I truly believe, is in the mind. And mental preparation is something that I'm quite big on. Mental preparation um, is something that I think is often overlooked. Mm. Um, because when you get to the Premier League or when you get to international football, everybody everybody is physically prepared. Everybody is in good shape. So high performance, I think, is a, is a, is a matter of small margins. I'm really interested in how you psychologically compare the different levels at which you've competed because I think physically like you're born with natural ability you can work harder in the gym you work with better players and better managers it improves you physically but that doesn't mean that you're psychologically ready for a step up like how do you go from being released by Southampton thinking your professional career is over to being a part-time footballer and what were you a mortgage advisor to a few days well. <laughs> to a few days later been on the bench for Ipswich Town. Psychologically, I'm just fascinated how you how you cope with that. Were there doubts? If there were, how did you deal with them? Or maybe you maybe you're not the kind of guy that has them. I don't think anyone would believe me if I said that I wasn't the sort of person to 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 have them. I think they're they're natural emotions to have and natural thoughts to have, and I think they're things that you should learn from as well. And going into the dressing room or, or first team environment with seasoned pros. Um, was scary, of course. People like DJ Campbell, Michael Chopra, um, Danny Higginbottom, who was at Southampton when I was in the academy. Like there were people that, of course, I knew about, watched for years, and and it was tough. And one of the topics that I wanted to explore, like I said to you on the phone, was the, was the idea around the inferiority complex. How do you overcome that? Because everybody must face that. Whether you're a presenter, whether you're um, whether you're a footballer, everybody must face. The situation where they don't quite feel that they're ready to step into what they're about to do. You still have it today? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a constant evolution. Yeah. And your role in the dressing room always changes, and and that's something that being being I guess emotionally aware of other people and how your your actions might affect them is something that is probably a leadership trait, and, and you have to be aware of how you may. Um, influence another player's career because I would I would have loved nothing more than to go into an Ipswich dressing room everybody huddle around me and say if everything's going to be fine and, and we're going to help you through it but that's not what happens in football you just have to find your own way and you and you have to recognise who are the positive influences in the dressing room and perhaps who are the negative ones so if you had like a combination in many ways of like I know Barcelona talk about you have the guy that's the visionary hmm. the guy that is the backbone the guy that's just solid and keeps everything done. And then they have another phrase that they call it the doctor no. So the cynic amongst that leadership group, the one that stops you getting carried away with yeah. expectations. Which of those three roles do you think you play? I mean, probably the cynic. I would love to say the backbone, but I think for me to be that, I have to constantly deliver solid performances on the pitch. And I think I'm still developing that. I'm still developing a level of consistency that not only you find on the pitch, but also you find off the pitch, finding what works for you throughout the week, what works for you before games. Because obviously we're living in a world right now where things are changing so quickly and you have to be dynamic enough, not just in your thinking, but also in how you prepare for games. I mean, going away with England before the season even, before the Premier League even starts is something you wouldn't have been able to to, to think was going to happen a couple of years ago. But we're living in such strange times that I think being able to change is such a powerful thing. And I think I'm probably more of a cynic in terms of being able to see things with more perspective than just in, not only just in Aston Villa dressing room and bubble, but also in the real world. So when we're talking about wage deferrals and stuff like that with the CEO, 
we're sitting there as a group saying, no, nah, not having our money. What do you mean? We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And whilst all of those things are true, because whilst you're saying, okay, we're going to defer some money, but then what, you're going to go spend another 100 million in the summer. That don't make sense. Then I'm thinking about it from the CEO's role. I'm thinking, well, we've got to show a little bit of empathy towards him because he's ultimately in a difficult situation. The club are losing money. Fans aren't allowed. So I think I'm probably am unable to see things from a slightly different perspective at times, but I'm definitely not the visionary. what's interesting here is that we see this a lot from high achieving people that come and talk to us on the podcast is that if you broke your life down into the small moments you can see all of the sort of shitty things that have happened whether Mm. it's the difficulty of living in a homeless shelter as a young lad whether it is being released just as you thought you were going to make it as a professional footballer whether it's having an injury at Bournemouth that really sent you into a downward spiral Mm. yet all of those things mean that when the time comes for you to need to be a leader in the Premier League, the fact that you're 27 and you've, you're now establishing yourself as an England international, not 17, yeah, yeah, is actually really helpful, isn't it? Oh, honestly, I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't change anything I've been, been through. And I know that hindsight's a wonderful thing. If my career had gone a different path, certainly I would have changed things. I would say, oh, if only I didn't get injured, I would have made it. But I look at my journey and, and the things that I've been through and the experiences that I've lived, it's not a thing that I would change. I mean, I mean, I look at people that come through the academy and obviously no journey is the same and no route is mm. right or wrong. But I look at which I would, I would choose from being an all-round better human point of view. I think I, I've seen so many things that when the dreaded time of retirement comes that so many people are afraid of, is something I'll be able to embrace and, and I know what's coming. I know what life is like on the other side. I've seen the amazing things you do, whether it's feeding the homeless. I see you going on social media every time you change a squad number and you offer to buy a new shirt with a new squad number for anyone that's got the old squad number. Yeah, that was a lot more expensive at, uh, <laughs> at Aston Villa than it was at Ipswich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think Ipswich was only about five people, but... <laughs> Quite a few at Villa. Yeah. Um, it means you've got a lot of fans. It's not a bad thing. Whether it's buying tickets for fans who can't afford tickets, I wonder whether all of these things that you do, you can trace right the way back to when you had that period living in a homeless shelter, living a life not of plenty. Absolutely. And I think, like I said, I've seen what it, what it's like to be a football fan or to be someone that needs help or needs a leg up in life. And I mean, whilst I can't dedicate my whole life to, to helping other people, certainly we can help financially. We can help by showing a little bit of empathy. We can help by understanding that everybody isn't in quite as fortunate positions as us. But then I look at my situation, of course, as a kid and, and growing up, and I, ha- I was showered by love. I mean, I was in, I wasn't in a in a situation where I felt unloved or alone. My mum made a, made some some unsavoury situations great as a kid. That was just our norm, and, and it was fine because my mum made a great deal of it, and my sisters were, were were great as well. So, but then I look back now as the man that I am, and I know what it's like. I know what it's like. Are you grateful for that period? Absolutely, yeah. Like I said, any any experience that I've been through, I, I don't think would allow me to be the person I am today if I didn't go through them. And do you think, you know, you made reference to those injuries at Bournemouth gave you the chance to look back and mm. there's that old saying that life only makes sense when, uh, when we view it backwards. Mm. What did you realise during that period of reflection that you could take with you on the next stage of your journey? I probably learned that um, and this is something that I spoke on quite a lot. I probably learned that the obsession of putting everything in one, bar- um, one basket is really dangerous mentally and is a really dangerous place to be. Now, I know that this is probably a, a, a bit of a generational thing as well because we're afforded a little bit more space and time to be the people that we want to be as players. I don't think if you were, and I've said this before, if you're in Sir Alex Ferguson's dressing room when they won the treble, I don't think setting up a business would have been so actively encouraged or doing things away from football would have been so actively encouraged. But when I got injured, I lost everything really because I'd perceived getting to the Premier League as the place of happiness. And that's where that was the destination of success. And that's where it finished. I was going to play in the Premier League and I would be happy. Now to have that taken away in such cruel fashion seemed like the end of the world because I had nothing else. I had no other identity. I had no other things in my life that could bring me any form of contentment or fulfillment. Yep. That's probably what, what, what taught me the biggest lesson. How dark was that time? Yeah, awful, awful. Yeah. I mean, for the first couple of months, I probably did nothing but drink. 
Now, if you think about what is most counterproductive to inflammation in the knee, alcohol is probably right up there. It was, yeah, an awful time. And I remember going to the manager at, at, at Bournemouth and I think I broke down in the end, just in tears and was like, I don't even know where these tears are coming from. I mean, I'm doing rehab, I'm here. I, yeah, I don't feel great because I got injured, but surely there must be more to it than that because... And what was the drinking doing for you? Putting me to sleep. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was taking me, it was taking me out, of, out of my reality. And my reality was that I'd lost all control and I'd lost all control of my, of where I wanted to go. And that was probably the most unstable in time of my life because I, when I'm fit and I can push to get in the team, that's an element of that is in my control. But when I'm out of the team and I don't know if Bournemouth are going to stay up and don't know if I'm going to play in the Premier League again, they're all emotions and thoughts that are swirling through my head and thinking, I can't control it and I'm injured. I'm not going to be back for another 12 months. I don't know where Bournemouth are going to be. I don't know if I'm ever going to get the chance to play in the Premier League again. What about if I don't get back in the team in the Championship? My career is only going one way. So, yeah, it was awful. It was awful. And But then, like I said, I learned so much throughout those times. So who, who was the person you discovered once you got through that initial dark period? Two completely different people, absolutely. I mean, going into the injury and when I look back at what made me happy around the time of my injury, it was football it was going out it was girls it was material objects and when you feel so irrelevant in your day job I guess I wasn't winning the the big war so I was I was winning little battles I was buying a new car I was buying jewelry giving myself little pick-me-ups and um I guess when I started to 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 get go through the injury and go through the process of of I guess unpicking the layers in my mind of what I was thinking and why I was thinking them and where they came from, I realised I'm not necessarily that person at all. I'm someone that, like you said, likes to help or give back. I'm someone that likes to learn. I'm someone that likes to push the boundaries of what I can do. Um, and that was a that was an enlightening period. Absolutely, it was a period of of reflection. Now the reflection wasn't so easy to do because I had to go to some quite dark places to yeah. get there. I had to speak about some traumas in my life that I didn't really want to speak about again. But listen, it uncovered things that I never I never knew about myself. But so you saw a psychologist, therapist? Yeah, I still speak to him now, yeah. Really? Yeah, we speak. And part of my pregame routine is to speak to him. So we speak about, well, it's just a routine we do. It takes three or four minutes. And it, it, I'm sure you know all about it, but it, it, it puts me in a state of competitiveness. So do you talk about football in that conversation or? No. We talk about what, how you're feeling? Yeah, so we talk a little bit about settling down the inner child, any fears he may have in, my, in what I'm about to do. And then talking to the best version of myself and about what he looks like, how he stood, how he feels, what he, how he competes. And then trying to distinguish which one you need right now and then going out and playing. I think this is a brilliant conversation to have because I still think, even in 2020, in professional sport, not enough people, A, are doing what you're doing, which is seeking outside help and having mm. these kinds of conversations. But even worse, I bet there are other professional sports people that are doing this, but they're not necessarily brave enough to admit that before they compete, they speak to a psychologist. Yeah. I mean, it feels quite crass in many ways, Tyrone, to ask you this, but that period you went through and the reflection that you did... There's almost like a delicious irony that your career has taken off since that as well, while you've been liberated in so many other ways as, mm. as a person. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's any coincidence that I kind of cleanse myself of the things I didn't like about myself. Listen, there's still bad habits that creep in from time to time. But um, the fact that I was able to go through that and almost like you said, Jay, in terms of resetting and and going again, setting new goals. Um, I mean, the fact that I perceived the Premier League as success was was bad enough and was dangerous enough because I'll, quite rightly, if I got there, then what? So I had to go through a period of, of resetting my goals and really understanding that I had to enjoy the journey. I had to enjoy everything that I was about to, to go through and not keep placing happiness at a far away moment in time or destination. So... I guess when people say like, oh, when do you feel like you made it or anything like that, they're, they're, I don't think anybody would ever say that. And I think the journey is sometimes really hard to take in. I think our family and friends probably benefit from it more than what we do. 
because when I come back from playing for England, I've got a game for Villa two days later. And it's like, you never get a chance to do what I did when I got injured, which was to reflect and which was to take stock of my life and appreciate where I come from. And there will be so many people listening to this now who can relate to how you're feeling, not professional sports people, yeah, yeah. people in everyday life who find themselves defined by their job or mm. chasing the dream that they can't wait for. And the problem is when you reach that destination, you find out after 20 years of hard work, it's not quite as great as you thought it would be. And then, then what yeah. are you left with? So what are the tricks and the tools that you employ now to make sure you don't become the Tyrone Mings of four or five years ago, who is purely defined by success on a football field? Well, I've got a lot of interests away from sport. I find it really tough to solely define myself as a footballer. So quite often when people say to me, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I play football. You get labelled as something. And, and having an identity away from that, I think is so balancing for me that I know that there's a bigger picture out there and retirement will come one day. But what do I want to be when I, when I retire? Who do I want to be? And working towards that now, I'm afforded the luxury of being able to set up businesses with fairly small injections of capital whilst playing football. I can build a, a small team around me who can, who can do it. And I've set up three or four businesses in different industries basically to learn about it. I think I feel like I learn from doing things. I learn this, I read great books and I can learn through, through reading, but there's only so much that I can take in by not doing it myself. So I know that I, I enjoy business, but I also have a day job. So I balance not letting the things that I'm enjoying away from football, but getting involved in football. I balance being involved in that and being a professional footballer. But as you can imagine, playing the Premier League and playing for England takes up a lot of physical, but also mental time. It allows me to, when I come off the football pitch, take the game in, in and see it for what it is, it's a, it's a game of football and I play for England and that is a game for my country, which is the greatest badge of honour you can wear. But then when I step into other areas of my life, the, those things are kind of redundant. See, but to me, that is like, it's the same approach that you had when you went into Ipswich, mm. that I see the parallels of, you'd come from being a mortgage broker, you had a sense of what life outside of the sport offered. So you went in and were almost liberated to just go and give it your best. And mm. it sounds like you've returned to that state, just at a higher level with higher demands, but you're still getting that sense of perspective away from, away from the game. Yeah, it's probably a really good point. I mean, I often think that the more pressure I put on myself, quite often it, it affects my performance. And if my whole week is spent either worrying about the game we've just had or worrying about the game that's about to happen, I never leave any room in my head for, for any other positive thoughts or, or any, every, any other area of my life to, to succeed. So I can compartmentalise it a little bit um, and I can see it with a little bit of perspective, I think. What do you think some football players, some football managers and quite a few football fans will respond with when they hear you talking about having interests outside of football? Um, they will say... Stick to football. Absolutely. Absolutely, they will. And I've got no problem with that argument because that argument only comes up when you're not playing well. Yeah. When you're playing well, it's so great that you're well-rounded. even when well you're not playing well, why human. is that the reason? Some, like, let's take Marcus Rashford, right? The perfect example at the moment. Yeah. Only doing good stuff. If he has a bad game for Man United, oh, it must be the school dinners that's distracted him. Or, oh, stick to football, Marcus. It's you use the phrase howling at the moon. It's outdated werewolves howling at the moon stick to football because they don't understand that you can be a better, more rounded, more considered professional athlete if you have an interior design company or if you have a charity that you've set up or if you're campaigning for a more equal society. Why can't the two be mutually beneficial. Mm. How can we change this mindset? It does my head in every time I see a footballer told stick to football, I think. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I know, yeah. But what people have to understand is they're talking to young men. They're talking to young men that ultimately have to step away from football one day. If you tell that person to stick to football for the next 15 years, you're not getting a very balanced or well-rounded human that comes out the other end. And I think that's a society that we need to get away from. That's a mindset we need to get totally. away from. But why can't we be impressed by it? Why can't we go, mm. wow, Tyrone Mings plays for England, plays in the Premier League and has time for all this other stuff as well. It's an either-or mentality. Isn't mm. it? Either you're a footballer or you're a business person. Man. And that conversation, what you're saying is, but I can be both and. I can mm. be both a footballer and somebody that has 
a variety of interests, but that dual thinking isn't necessarily what sells newspapers, the subtlety, <laughs> the nuance any, of it. Do you pay any attention to it if you get a social media post telling you to stick to football? No. I mean, quite often I get comments like that when I'm speaking on diversity or racism. Oh, he's talking about this again. Why don't you just stick yeah. to football? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's not necessarily about the business. Um, oh, because winning a game of football is so much more important <laughs> than having a diverse equal society, is it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I take it with a little bit, I take it with a pinch of salt, of course. It doesn't affect me to the level where I'm scrolling through tweets and looking for comments because I think if you go looking for them, of course you'll find things that you don't want to see. How are you with external criticism? Fine. Some of it is, some of it is unfair, some of it is fair. And we are playing right at the top in terms of our sport to be able to deal with stuff like that. And mm. we have to find a way to deal with stuff like that. But that's not saying it's easy and everybody deals with it differently. You either don't read it or you can read it and you can park it or it affects you and you have to perhaps sometimes get some help. No way is better or, or, or worse. But I think what sometimes people forget is we're still humans mm. um, and we have to sometimes be aware of the things that you're writing and how it may affect a human, not not a footballer, a human who is behind the badge of the shirt or behind the social media profile. So who do you listen to as a, <laughs> uh, uh, like as a human when they say to you, Tyrone, you need to, you could do that better or Tyrone, you wouldn't consider this. Mm. Who does make you sit up and pay attention? I think anybody that has access to me personally, I would take advice from. Even in the punditry world, there's a lot of opinions on what you should or shouldn't have done in a, in a, in a game. And they are exactly what their class has, opinions. If someone genuinely wants to help me or genuinely has my best interests at heart, I think they will reach out. Or I'll be speaking to them already anyway and we'll yeah. be developing that relationship about like John Terry at Villa, for example. One of the best Premier League defenders to ever play. Of course, I listen to him and we spend a lot of time going through clips and stuff. So social media, there's a lot of opinions and a lot of it these days is is clickbait and stuff. So there's a, there's a lot of, take that with a pinch of salt. But yeah, anybody that, that has a personal line into me or genuinely wants to improve my performance or my thinking, I think there are times when you should, when you should listen and you should take notice. I read a lovely quote from you when you were talking about business and you were saying that you don't fall in love with an idea, but you fall in love with a person and their values. What would it take for somebody to get into your inner circle to then have an influence? What kind of values do you, do you look for then? Trust, of course, in the world that we live in. And, and I say that as someone who's been in the football world for long enough now to know that there are not always uh, trustworthy people or honest people in it. So trust and honesty is two things that if you can find in sport if you can find in a manager or an agent or a colleague they are so valuable but trust takes a long time to develop and honesty is something that you can you can give and honesty doesn't always mean people telling you what you want to hear honesty is is developed by and, and trust is developed by people sometimes telling you what you don't want to hear if you're trustworthy and you're honest that starts the relationship and that starts um things off on a good foot and do you think you started to develop those characteristics again after that period of retrospection that you went through at Bournemouth? Absolutely, yeah. If you had asked me what, what characteristics I look for in a person at, at that time, I don't know what I would have said. Um, but the younger me would have, would have probably been a lot more elaborate and, and wanted things that were all singing and all dancing and paid a lot of attention to social media and wanted to be perceived to be a really fun person and someone in the dressing room that people could yeah, go out drinking with and all of those things that come with being a young player. I think you also, as part of being a, a human away from being a footballer, you have to go through those things. You absolutely have to enjoy yourself. The difficulty comes is when you let that affect what is ultimately your day job. And, and that's a position where none of us as players or anybody in, in any walk of life should let the two affect each other. But I don't think it's a bad thing that that, injury at Bournemouth had such a an impact on your psychological state today but I am interested why it had such a big impact because you'd imagine getting released as a 17 year old or whatever just as you're on the cusp of success might have been more than you could handle or even living in the homeless shelter as a kid might have been more than you could handle but you dealt with those kinds of things and you know getting thrust into the first team at Ipswich having been a mortgage advisor five days before you dealt with that okay 
Why was this injury at Bournemouth such a big thing? I think, like I said, because I had placed all of my future happiness on the Premier League is where I'm going to find my happiness. So was it because that was the move that got you into the Premier League and you were a few minutes into the debut? So you... Because you were, weren't you? It was your yeah, Premier League six debut. minutes, yeah. So you were six minutes into the what, the thing that you'd pinned basically your whole life on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of my football career had been around. Was about around, that moment. Yeah, was about, prem, was about playing in the Premier League. Of course, it was the highest level that we can compete at domestically. And, and imagine finally getting there after all the adversities that you'd, you'd said, finally getting there and your family are there. And, and I was Bournemouth's record signing. So the the... the positive media that came with that this was it this was my time to shine this was when I was about to go and and be the happiest I'd ever been and that was Bournemouth's first season in the Premier League so I didn't know if they were even going to stay up if we do get relegated has my dream gone that's why it was so bad but isn't that a great lesson for people listening to this who might be going through a difficult time at the moment that what feels like the single worst moment of your Mm. life Mm. years later you reflect on as being something that now gives you such clarity of thought mm. and it's difficult because when you're in that yeah right but it might be great but it might also never end mm. so uh there's not much that you can say to someone in that situation but i found that that when you realize that you are in control and you can only con- and you can only control what is happening now it's such a more stable place to be and and you can't control what's happening in the future you can't really affect what's happened in the past so I had to take responsibility of the decisions that I was making there and then and listen, drinking, staying up late, going out wasn't benefiting me because ultimately I had to place a little bit of hope that Bournemouth stayed in the Premier League. But I had to make sure that when Bournemouth staying in the Premier League and me getting fit again met, I was ready for that opportunity. I couldn't, I couldn't do that if I was continuing what I was doing. So when you made your England debut, that's a culmination of a different dream altogether. Mm. How did you approach that differently than that dream of getting to the Premier League? That was probably more one that I could take in my stride because I'd only really been thinking about paying for England when I signed for Aston Villa. I mean, at Bournemouth, as a, as a player that's sitting on the bench, there's no good thinking about, oh, one day I want to play for England because whilst that might happen, I need to get into the team first. Yeah. So I only I had a I had a period of six months uh, at Aston Villa in the Championship. Then I went into the Premier League season, thinking right this season I want to break into the England squad. It only happened to be that the first England squad that was announced I was in. So I didn't really have time to be disappointed about being left out of a squad when I thought I should have been in it. I'd been thrust into the England spotlight in September after playing four games in the Premier League or something. So that was something I felt I could take more of my stride right. because I knew that I was prepared. I knew that I was playing well. I knew that I could go in and, and hold my own, but that doesn't mean to say that it wasn't daunting going in there. But I also know I'm not going to face anything on this football pitch that I haven't faced in the Premier League. I'm not going to face any tougher player than what we play against regularly. And I must be doing something well in the Premier League and equip myself well to get into the England squad. So that's that's probably an easier one to take than, than first setting foot in the Premier League. But then you did face something on the pitch mm-hmm. that you don't face <laughs> in the Premier League every week, thankfully, which was the most horrendous racist abuse. And I can only imagine that you as a team were this close to walking off the football field. Mm. In hindsight, do you wish you had walked off the field? No, I think if we had walked off the pitch... I mean, there would be a lot of people that say we should have because it would have been a bigger statement. I completely understand that argument. But at the same time, we let the the relevant authorities do what they needed to do. And there was a certain protocol that we had to follow to allow them post-game to do that. Now, if we walked off the pitch and they had to sanction us, maybe would have taken the spotlight away from what we were actually walking off the pitch for. So no, I think the dialogue we had before the game between the FA and the manager and the team on briefing us about what may happen was really clear and allowed us to know if this does happen, what you should do. Shouting at the linesman wasn't in the protocol, but, I, but I, that got picked yeah, but up. That in itself, <laughs> were you shouting at him, do you hear that? That, yeah. that in itself became a powerful moment. Yeah, and I'm glad it did because, listen, like you said, I don't know how long into my debut that was, but I heard it before the warm-up even started. Warm-up, warm-up started... Me and Callum Wilson were jogging across the pitch, come out of the tunnel, jogged across the pitch, 
even as we got to the other end of the pitch, we heard it then. We're thinking, surely that wasn't what we thought it was. Going back to my original point, we were briefed so well on what we should do that when it happened, I think it was powerful that we stuck to it in the most awful circumstances. We were able to, to think with clarity when we're being racially abused. I mean, that is powerful in itself. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I don't want to have this conversation and make out that racism is a Bulgarian issue. Absolutely, Not an English issue. We might only have another 15, 20 minutes to sit here and talk. So I don't really want to, like, float around the edges on this. I really want to understand from you... How big remains the issue in this country? What do we need to be doing more of? What do you want to see happen in this country in the next 12 or 18 months? What is life like from the perspective of a black man in Britain in 2020? Well, first of all, I think we have to appreciate how far we've come. I mean, you talk about us living in difficult situations and and the things we're arguing or, or demonstrating for, campaigning for now started hundreds of years ago and we have to really appreciate the people that come before us and lived in much tougher times than what we did to allow us to even have the voice to now campaign and to have the voice to walk out into the street and not feel like you're going to be imprisoned for looking at a a police officer the wrong way so i feel really fortunate that we are living in times that we didn't have to live in that my parents had to endure my grandparents had to endure but that doesn't mean that we should be grateful just because things aren't that bad. You shouldn't just have to be grateful because we've made a bit of progress. A lot of terms that were, that were banded about in the Black Lives Matter campaigning and the George Floyd stuff was the things that came out of it were kind of systemic racism and stuff like that. I don't think that's the world we're living in. I think what we're living in is kind of unconscious bias and people that have never had to change, people that have never had to recruit from more diverse pools. and. If you've never had to do that, quite rightly so, you probably don't know much about it. You probably don't know much about the cultures of different people. And I would say that we are also probably guilty, and and I'm saying we as in male footballers, guilty of not understanding different elements of our own game. For example, the women's game and women working in sport, we don't understand quite how much abuse they probably get. And that's because we've never experienced it. So when I'm sitting here talking about racism and, and trying to build more diverse structures in football it's about educating people it's about them understanding how powerful diversity can be and and them empathizing also with the lack of opportunities that black people have had historically in the game yeah we're all guilty of it we're all guilty whether it be on racism or discrimination or or just oversight or negligence i think we're all guilty of it to a certain extent it just happens to be that i'm a black man and i i've lived in times where i've been racially abused and i can see that certain pathways would have been maybe blocked or not as easy to come by for for people like myself. What kind of messages or teachings did your parents pass on to you, Tyrone, about when you were racially abused? How did they teach you to process it and to to respond to it? 
Well, obviously they were very emotional uh, at the time and around the England stuff. But I, I have a white mum and a black dad, so obviously I came, I came, I had the best of both. And uh, my dad, growing up, was quite balanced in his views and quite calm. So when it came to me being racially abused, I think they probably leaned on me for a little bit of wisdom more than uh, me going to them because. Whilst my dad would have experienced awful things in his childhood, things weren't as progressive or weren't as, as acceptable these days as they were back then. I say he was calm and collected. He's calm and collected now. Going through what he went through growing up, he was probably quite aggressive and wanted to change things physically. Whereas yeah. my mum is, is very much more, I'm her son, I'm her only son. She loves me to bits. So she gives me that kind of balance. So I have to find a middle ground between not being too loving, not being too physical. So I, I find, and I read quite a lot on kind of the, the non-violence protests that have happened over the years as well and how powerful they've been. Yeah. So I lean on, I guess, different areas of how to come through things. You can't dive into a stadium full of, full of fans and start fighting people that are racially abusing you. So you have to try and go around the problem and realize that, okay, the problem is here, but how can we, how can we tackle that from a higher level? How can we be wiser or, or smarter than the people that, that we're kind of fighting against. When you talk about it being more of an unconscious bias rather than clear and overt racism in this mm. country, that almost makes it a more difficult enemy to fight, doesn't mm. it? So what do you want to see happen? What should we all be doing to, to fight this unconscious bias or not necessarily to fight it, to educate people mm. about it? That's exactly what I think it is, education. We all have a responsibility, regardless of colour, to understand the challenges that our colleagues, friends, family may be going through. And I think that's probably where we've, where we've fallen short historically is just going about our own life and probably not paying attention enough and probably not having enough empathy to people in, in, in worse situations than ourselves. So what I would like to happen, of course, the diversity code has come in, which I've, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with, that will hopefully create some more diverse organizations. But it's not necessarily that, it's about creating equal opportunity, not just placing black people in positions of power. We don't want that, we want people that are well qualified, we want people with the right intentions, um, we want people with the right morals. So what I would like to happen absolutely is people to educate themselves. I'm not talking about diving through and, 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 and combing through books for hours on end, but probably just understanding why there isn't diverse organizations or corporations or associations involved in sport. Like everybody at a high level seems to be white. And, and that's the world that we're living in. And that isn't a fair reflection of society or of the participants of that sport. Whilst you're talking about some really powerful rules that can start to shift that narrative i think there's a softer skill there at the heart of what you're talking about which is about empathy mm. emotional intelligence listening to others mm. and engaging with them and they're all skills that you're telling us have been critical in your journey to high performance how can people develop that so people that might be listening to it that go i'm not sure i am as emotionally switched on as i could be how have you learned to develop those skills speaking to people a lot wiser than myself. Ironically, listening to podcasts like this, I think when you listen to things that perhaps are thought-provoking, it, it kind of triggers something in yourself to think, oh, maybe I don't do that, or, or maybe I could do that better. So probably broadening your horizons in terms of what you know and the people you surround yourself with, because people will challenge you day to day if you surround yourself with the right people. But also there has to be a, there has to be a want. There has to be a want for people to, to change. And also not trying to drive the message so much that people switch off. I mean, you have to be soft, like you said, around the subjects that we're talking about. But honestly, the, the way that I've learned is to try things, to try, try things and, and to fail ultimately. Try things, fail, learn from your failures and, and repeat it. And that never stops. Unfortunately, that never stops. You, you're always trying and you're always failing. So what would you say has been the biggest failure that's led to the biggest breakthrough for you my mindset definitely one placing all my eggs in one basket but two perceiving happiness as something or a destination that never really exists if we're talking about how i seen happiness and success i should be the happiest most content most fulfilled person ever to walk this planet 
but I still have down days. I still have periods in a day where I don't feel so great. I still have periods in a week where I don't feel so great. So whilst I'm sitting there and saying, I've got all the answers, I absolutely don't. My biggest failure has absolutely been having the wrong mindset. See, we had a really interesting conversation with Johnny Wilkinson on this podcast where he spoke about understanding that nothing in his life is more important than anything else. Mm. So he used quite a stark example, which is that winning the Rugby World Cup was no more important than doing the washing up. Because all you... <laughs> I know, it's a hard one to get your head around, but basically he explained it as you're using your body to achieve a goal. Mm-hmm. If you're playing rugby, you're using body to achieve the goal of winning the World Cup. If you're doing the washing up, you're using your body to achieve the goal of cleaning the plate. So do, have you managed to get yourself into a mindset where being with friends and family in a really good setting or working with your interior design business is as fulfilling as playing for your country, playing for Aston Villa. Nothing is ahead of anything else, if you like. Absolutely. I think that's a really important message that you can genuinely only control the present also. You can only control what you're about to do. So like, I think Eddie Howard Bournemouth used to say that the next game you play in is the most important of your Mm. career. It's the only one you can control. It's not that any is more significant than the other. So when you've played for England, how long are you letting yourself get high on that supply? And how quick are you moving on to the next thing? Probably until I get home. Really? Um, yeah, generally until you get home because there's always something else. And the period between the game and getting home, you can revel in glory or wallow in, 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 in your sorrows if, if you've lost. But I guess until you get home, things reset. And I think what you're speaking about in terms of nothing's more important, I think every everything in your life plays a different role also. So the feeling I get from being with friends and family and sitting around listening to music is giving you an element of it touches your soul really doesn't it that's that's giving you soul yeah. fulfillment um the the football side i guess is a little bit more egotistical it's a yeah i'm a professional footballer and people look at me to perform and when i do my job well i get plaudits and i get uh benefits that come with that that's more nourishing and, and massage in that part but the stuff that you do away from football i think is is no less or no more important because it adds to adds to a, a more well-rounded person and the old Tyrone, where he would have gone out, chatted up some girls, told them, I played for England a few days ago, bought himself a, <laughs> bought himself a car to congratulate himself, gone and got some nice gear because he's now an England international. <laughs> but that probably would have been a few years ago if you'd have played for England at that time, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I hate to think what would have happened if I was in a situation where I played for England. I look at some young lads coming through now, Mason Green with Phil Foden's, they're, they're Jude Bellingham. They're 17, 18, 19. That's not a problem that I would have liked to have at that age. Um, would you have coped? I don't know. I don't know. I would like to think that I would have found a way. But genuinely, if I sit here now and think about the person that I was, I probably would have made just as many mistakes as what these young lads are making. And that's sometimes what we don't perhaps see is they are young men. And if we look at what we were doing at 17, 18, 19, would you have coped? Who knows? See, that fascinates me, Siron, <laughs> against your background, because... I wonder what messages would you give to these kids that like have, have come through an academy system, they've never really had the setback or the failure of being let go. You know, they've always been told they were the next big, big thing. They get the rewards, that their world is comfortable, that mm-hmm. everything they do is rewarded. What kind of messages would you say to them that you feel could help them? Like I said, I think the greatest thing that I learned and if I was in this situation again and someone could tell me this and I could take it in, because it's probably not an easy thing to take in, is that we are always responsible for what happens and we can always control it. So if you're released at 17, 18 and you're blaming the club or you're blaming another player that was playing ahead of you that you don't think was better than you, you have to understand that for some reason someone else didn't see that. And you have to figure out, first of all, why. And if you want to continue in the journey of football, you have to figure out what you need to do different and how you need to position yourself again to get back in front of those people that are making decisions. But ultimately, you are in control and you are responsible for anything good and anything bad that happens. So whilst that is a a good position to be in when things are going well, it's also a comforting place to be when things aren't going well because you know that you can control it and you know that ultimately, if I do this, a kind of cause and effect, if I do this... This will happen. When that's taken away from me is when I find it toughest. Um, So like being injured. But then you have to reset and realize, okay, I'm injured. 
but I'm still in control. I'm still responsible for the outcome of this knee injury. And luckily I found that out early enough and my knee has never caused me any problems again. But that's a process and that's an understanding and that's a learning within yourself and within your mind that whether you're released at 17 or 16 or whether you're released from a club when you're coming to the end of your contract, you're always in control. And I think that is a such a powerful place to be. Yeah, and it's such a good message for people because I think people are often scared of taking what we talk about on this pod, 100% responsibility. Mm. It's so much easier to attach blame to someone else mm. or to find fault with a certain thing that happened. But actually the reality is taking 100% responsibility isn't scary when you do it. Mm. It's just massively empowering, isn't mm. it? It is, yeah. It taking is. it all on yourself. I guess the fear should come from not being in control. The fear should be... So you're telling me that if I work really hard, I'm still not going to get an opportunity. That's that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that you can control the process and you can control the journey and you can control, to a certain extent, what happens. But I think you can control all of it. That doesn't mean it'll all go the way you want it to go. Yeah. But as soon as you start looking for um, luck mm. or blame in any capacity... Mm then, you're, then you're, you're giving up control. And as soon as you give up control, you can't get what you want. Mm. What I mean is in football, it's an opinion-based game, isn't yeah. it? So you can't please everybody. You can't, you can't always make a manager pick you. Yep. But you can, you can take responsibility for trying to improve. You can take responsibility to, for trying to yeah. be a better person. And accept responsibility if you're not picked. Mm. Don't blame the manager mm. for not picking you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about the rounded Tyrone that is with your family listening to music or you're going into the St. George's Park dining room with all those other England players. Who who do you want them to see? What are the characteristics that you say, this is me? I think what I often what people say is, oh, he's a little bit different. And I'm hoping what they mean by that is, is that I probably speak quite well um, and I've seen quite a lot so I can speak on a lot of different topics. But in terms of things that, that are important to me or a perception of, of what I would want people to have of me, I think empathy sits quite high on that list. And that is probably because, and we spoke about it already, I've seen what it's like to need a helping hand. And I think this isn't a criticism of other players, but I think sometimes they haven't. I'm not saying they haven't come from hardships because there's people that have come from a lot tougher backgrounds than I have. But there's people that have come up through the academy system. And ever since their kind of adolescence or young or teenage years, They've known nothing but the professional game and then they've come through and they've taken the path that is that is um, sign a professional contract, make debut, earn, earn quite good sums of money when you're young. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't come with its own pressures as well, but in terms of, like I said, me being well-rounded, I would hope that people look at me and think throughout all of that, he still managed to not only compete at a high level, but get himself back to a high level, but retain that element of humility that I can relate to my former self. I can relate to who I was as a kid and, and what my, me and my family went through as a kid. And I can hopefully use my platform now and, and uh, what I have now to, to give back and to try and help people in similar situations, much like what Marcus is doing. And finally, do you feel that you're in a, in a period where footballers have actually realised they are more than just people that kick a ball and have a night out, whether it is you coming on this podcast and talking about mental health struggles, talking to a psychologist, dealing with racist abuse, whether it's Marcus feeding kids who otherwise wouldn't be fed, whether it's Raheem a couple of seasons ago mm. clearly calling out the British press for being racist. It feels to me like you are all aware that you can be so much more than just footballers and you're maybe lifting each other up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, I think that comes slightly with the times because you can't ram down people's throats a message that won't be accepted for example like i said if we played in 70s 80s 90s 2000s and it wasn't so accepted to be doing things like that you have to be careful about what you what message you're delivering to people and also they couldn't control the narrative back then everything that they wanted to say had to go through through the media um, or through interviews we can speak on topics on social media and kind of control our narrative come on things like this and control what we want to say um, and have more of a authentic message that we're trying to deliver and I think that's a really powerful place to be and I think hopefully it continues to go in that way where players feel more liberated that they can go and be themselves and they can go and explore interests away from football but what we also have to understand is you can't let that affect football 
I think we're living in a, in a time where hopefully people will feel liberated to go and explore those things. Listen, we've reached our quick fire round. Are you ready for these? Yeah. <laughs> Three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy into. Be trustworthy. Non-negotiable is you have to always push yourself. So um, trustworthy, push yourself. Yeah. And take responsibility. Love it. What advice would you give a teenage Ty just starting out? Fail and learn from your failures and repeat. Are you happy? I am, yeah. Tell us more about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I mean, happiness is, su is such a, a, a hard thing to find. I'm not content and fulfilled 100% because there's still things that I want to achieve. But what I am is I'm happy with the progress that I've made. I'm happy with the person that I've become. I'm happy with the influence I have on people around me. So happiness is something that unless you realize it is in the here and now, which I spoke about in the podcast, unless you realize that you have to enjoy getting to where you think the next goal is or where you think happiness is, unless you enjoy getting to those stages and learning and failing and, and repeating, you'll never be happy. How important is legacy? Everything, really. The more you pay attention to the legacy, probably the less chance you have of leaving one. Um, because I think the best things that we can do are, f are from places of authenticity. And if it's me setting up a football academy or doing stuff out in Barbados, they're things that I want to do because I feel like they're areas of my life that I, or areas of other people's lives that I can influence. But if I sit here and think, how can I make it? How can I create a legacy? Or, or how do I want people to perceive me when I finish playing football? I think you're probably trying to get to a place that isn't authentic. And finally, your one golden rule to live a high performance life. Take responsibility. Absolutely. Take responsibility and you, yeah, you, you will be able to control so much more of, of, of your happiness and of your thoughts. I mean, high performance, like I said, right at the top, I think is a byproduct of taking responsibility and controlling your thoughts. I mean, we can all, we all have it within us to be high performance and it doesn't necessarily have to be within sport. When you realize that you can achieve that or you can take control or you can have an element of control over that you're setting yourself apart from other people already. Listen, I can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast. That's right, thank you. I think it's such an important conversation because, you know, you sit here as a handsome millionaire, <laughs> professional footballer, playing for his country, and there will be people listening to this going, well, he must be secure, 100% happy. He's achieved it. He's done it. If I was where he is, I would be happy. I'd be happy, yeah. Yet you are a reminder to all of those people that whether you're you or whether you're them, we're all on a constant journey towards happiness. We're all constantly exploring what's next. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing I would say to you is if ever you see those words, stick to football, <laughs> do the total opposite <laughs> and stick to everything else as well as football. You've got a lot to say and a lot to offer. So thank you so much for coming on here and having the kind of conversation that professional footballers need to be having. Thank you. Damien, Jake, it's another conversation that, isn't it, that just reminds the people who are part of the High Performance Podcast, listening wherever they are, that people, even in the position that Tyrone is in, still have struggles, still have doubts. And actually, some of the greatest things that have happened to him have come to him from the worst things. Absolutely. I think uh, it's a common theme now that we're seeing across all the series that we've done so far, Jake, about that success doesn't happen in straight lines. It's often bumpy, it's often difficult, it's two steps forward, one step back. And I think it's being able to make sense of that and see that as part of the journey. The value of that is what distinguishes high performers. And I feel so passionately that we should now be celebrating footballers that have more about them than just playing football. I'm so sick of seeing just stick to football and I love it when it's Raheem or it's Marcus Rashford, or it's Ty coming on a podcast like this. And, you know, the, the conversation we had about his mental struggles and the fact that he talks to a psychologist before every game, what a strong message that is, not just for fellow professional footballers, but any person struggling with anything. Speak, talk. Absolutely. And I think it's... I think what Tyrone's doing there is helping to educate us as well from outside of it that we need to get away from this either-or mentality, either you're a footballer or you're something else and see that you can be both and. And I think you can 
both be very good at your profession and you can have interests outside of it and that doesn't take anything away from it but it adds something to you as a person you're more rounded you're more considerate you're more empathetic Mm. and all those qualities can only ever help and I think sometimes it's hard to relate to people who come on this podcast and say something really bad happened and I reacted really well because we all think well you did but I'm not sure I could Whereas actually what he said to us when he talks about the injury at Bournemouth is that something really bad happened and before he turned it into a positive, it clearly broke him. You know, he'd said he just drunk for the first few weeks. Yeah, and that was the question that I was interested in asking him, like, what did it do? And his answer was it numbed me and put me to sleep. Yeah. But eventually, once you get beyond that, he was forced to take a look in the mirror, look at what, what the reflection staring back at him was about and ask himself some questions of who am I? And am I being the best version of the person that I want to be? And I think that's that level of reflection and self-analysis is a key aspect of all our high performers. That we're just privileged that they're generous enough to come and share some of that analysis and the answers they got with us. And it fills me with optimism that whether England win or lose their next major tournament, that those are the kind of people that are being picked to be in the England dressing room. Those are the kinds of conversations and the mindsets that are representing our country. It's positive, isn't it? Absolutely, and it gives us great optimism for future generations as well. Wow, wasn't he great? The kind of conversation with an England footballer that you don't expect to have and that I'm pretty sure a few years ago no one was having. So thanks so much to Tyrone for coming on the podcast, being so open, being so honest. Um, if that podcast spoke to you, if you got stuff from it, please don't just keep it to yourself. Feel free just to send it to your friends, to share the link on Instagram or Twitter, wherever. Um, but it's also really important to us if you can rate and review the podcast. I can't tell you the difference it makes. So wherever you get your podcasts from, please feel free to rate and review. And lots of people have been actually, despite the fact that these are strange and uncertain times and we're all just kind of hunkering down with our families for Christmas. We had a really nice message here saying thanks to Damien and myself for the weekly podcasts. They're the perfect way to start the week and the diverse and wide range of guests we have on is fantastic. Um, This comment from Ryan, he says, I find myself continually re-listening to episodes as there are so many gems in each one. I've just finished listening to the episodes with Nims Perger and similarly to you guys, I found his energy and his attitude to completing everything he does to the best of his ability really infectious and something that Ryan says he will look forward to. Uh, We had a nice message from S4C me saying, this is my first ever podcast review. Wonderful, but I feel it's worth it. Everyone is filled with uninhibited, forward-looking, insightful conversations. And I think that's really the key as we come to the end of 2020. You know, I started this podcast because I once thought there was a secret that no one else knew about success. Then I realized that actually it just came down to hard work, graft, but more importantly than that, self-belief and taking complete responsibility for everything. But I would admit that the last 20-odd, 30-odd episodes have totally changed my thinking as well because I thought that being successful was all about struggling and failing and striving and faltering and the negative times and the hard times. And actually, creating this podcast just reminds me that, of course, you have to be relentless. Yes, you have to be disciplined and you have to be determined and you have to give it your all and take complete responsibility. But more importantly than any of that stuff, you've just got to enjoy it. The number one thing that comes out of this podcast this year, I think, is whatever you do in 2021, just make sure that it's something you're really passionate about. Because if you're passionate about it, then it doesn't matter how hard you work. And we've said a few times on this pod, hard work without passion is just hard work. Passion without hard work is just passion. Um, so look, thank you all so much for being part of this podcast in 2020, for the listens, for the reviews, for the subscribes, for sharing about it, for talking about it, for shouting about it. This pod, we only started it in March, remember, has been bigger than I ever could have imagined. And I'm totally aware that that is pretty much down to all of you listening to this and sharing it with people that you think will benefit from it. And that's what this is really about, creating something that improves the lives of everyone involved. Damien and myself, the guests, the listeners. Thank you so much to everyone. Will, Hannah, Finn, Matt, all the team at Rethink Audio for their hard work constantly throughout the year on this pod. Of course, I couldn't do it without Damien Hughes as well. But the biggest thanks for 2020, without doubt, 
goes to you. And all I would say is just keep on listening, keep on being involved, because in 2021, the plans for this pod are bigger, more exciting um, than ever before. And we look forward to the day when we can all be in the same room as all of you people who love the High Performance Podcast, reaching out directly to you. So I know it's been a really weird and odd year for all of us, but I really hope that 2021 is one that you can savour, enjoy, but most of all, be happy with. And if this podcast adds a tiny, tiny amount to your happiness in 2021, then all the effort is worth it. A big shout out as well to Sophie King, who um, helped us to record this episode with Tyrone Mings. Huge thanks to Tyrone for being such an honest and open person and talking about his journey. Please, a quick reminder, if you can rate and review the pod, then fantastic. You can find the podcast on Instagram at High Performance. You can also find us on YouTube. Just type in the High Performance Podcast because we want to be a big part of your lives in 2021. Um, And the best way to make that happen is for you to engage with us. Don't just listen to this podcast. Be part of it. Have a really happy new year. All the very best for 2021. And thanks again for your support of the High Performance Podcast. Happy New Year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.